You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. I'm Ellie Shannon, and you're tuned into KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, I go over updates in campus news and discuss how a man was arrested after a police pursuit at Mulberry Street and I-25. Coda Babcock moves on to explain new updates in COVID-19. Then Portia Cook reports on Monday's Martin Luther King Jr. Day parade in Fort Collins. After that, Babcock updates listeners on how congregants were held hostage at a Texas synagogue. And we hear from Anton Schindler about the National League West in his podcast, Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler. After that, Eliza Drodar gives an overview on CSU athletics, and we hear from Carson Lane in her podcast, Play Like a Girl. To conclude today's show, Babcock explains some updates on technology with information on national digital currency and Twitter's moves to prevent the spread of misinformation. Let's move right into campus and local news. This is Ellie Shannon with your campus and local news on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Colorado State University is back in session for the 2022 spring semester. It's CSU's first week of classes, and the community observed Martin Luther King Jr. Day Monday, which Portia Cook and Coda Babcock will be telling us about shortly. CSU had a busy winter break with the opening of the CSU Spur Campus in Denver. The campus is now a year-long destination in Denver, with the Vita Building opening on January 7th. The Vita Building was made specifically for visitors, field trips, and community to get a glimpse inside research, science, and careers, according to CSU's MarCom staff on Source News. According to CSU's MarCom staff of Source News, there are many attractions within this building, such as a mock exam clinic where students can check out x-rays and bandage stuffed animals. Other attractions include exhibits, an interactive display, and horses. Two other buildings, Terra and Hydro, will be opening later this year. On December 28th, CSU researchers launched a $1.9 million project for water treatment. The U.S. Department of Energy's National Alliance for Water Innovation gave CSU's team the grant. The Alliance is a multi-institutional network of scientists focused on treatment and reuse technologies for outside-the-box water sources like municipal water, seawater, and agricultural drainage, according to Ann Manning of CSU Source News. Fresh water is scarcer than ever, and according to Manning, for this project, the team plans to focus on developing and testing low-cost, environmentally benign materials that function as chemical sorbents. Similar to sponges, it will help with the precise removal and recovery of certain nutrients, mainly phosphate, ammonium, and nitrate, from municipal and agricultural wastewaters. Biocar, a soil additive, is a charcoal-like material created by burning carbon-rich biomass such as wood, wheat straw, corn stalks, or manure in an oxygen-free environment and is the starting material for the two-year lawn project. CSU also received a grant for $1 million from the U.S. Department of Energy for a study that combines field experiments and computer modeling to assess how co-occurring droughts and deluges will impact carbon cycling across the vast grasslands of the continental U.S., according to Ann Manning of CSU Source News. The research team will be led by Melinda Smith, who is a professor in the Department of Biology and the Graduate Degree Program in Ecology. Smith's team works with a very large laboratory, spanning 174,000 square miles in semi-arid short grass steppe located in the western edge of the U.S. Great Plains, starting about 30 miles east of Fort Collins. For over a decade, Smith and colleagues have worked in grasslands doing experiments that mimic drought and other conditions to determine how such natural carbon processes play out across different ecosystems. More updates on this to come in the future. Now, on to our local news. On Monday, January 10th, a man was shot by a Larimer County Sheriff's Office deputy following a pursuit. After a call about a a suspicious person took place in Wellington, the man, now known as Dustin Bartles, fled the scene in a chase ensued. Police chased him on I-25 and tried many tactics to stop Bartles, including road spikes and the precision immobilization technique maneuver. After it finally ended at Mulberry Street and I-25, a deputy shot and injured Bartles, 
whom has now been arrested after being released from the hospital this past Wednesday. The critical incident response team was activated to investigate the incident, and Fort Collins Police Services will lead the investigation. Until the CRIT investigation is completed, no further details will be released. After the Marshall fires destroyed much of Boulder County shortly before the new year, Fort Collins may remove the U plus two rule and assistance for families who lost homes in the fire after a majority of Fort Collins City Council members support the idea. The U plus two rule means that no more than two unrelated people can live together in a home within Fort Collins. Council member Julie Pignataro brought up this idea at last week's council meeting after being inspired by a resident who encouraged the city to remove red tape for people who want to open their homes to victims of the fire, according to J.C. Marmaduke of the Coloradoan. Some council members were concerned that this would create a loophole in the U plus two rule, but other council members and staff reassured that this will only be focused on Marshall fire victims. To learn more about how you can help the Marshall fire victims, visit 303magazine.com. Drake Road is still currently under construction as a concrete warranty repair project ensues. From 8.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m., Monday through Friday, the construction will continue for up to two weeks as weather permits. Thanks for listening to my updates on campus and local news. Make sure to tune into the Rocky Mountain Review every Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 5 in the afternoon. This is Ellie Shannon for KCSU Fort Collins on 90.5 FM. Hey, this is the Red Scare, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Cota Babcock, and these are COVID-19 updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University is currently seeing a severe increase in COVID-19 cases, which may be underestimated if students test through the county and do not report to the university. The university reports over 5,600 cases of COVID-19, with 58 students and 15 staff members testing positive Friday prior to the start of the in-person spring semester. CSU President Joyce McConnell has repeatedly sent out emails in recent weeks assuring students that the semester will be fully in person with new vaccination requirements. Saliva test results are required in order to attend courses on campus, and county PCR tests or rapid antigen tests are not being accepted as substitutions by the university. Larimer County reports a high-risk SOAR for COVID-19, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention ranks the county as having high levels of community transmission. The county's seven-day case rate is over 1,400 cases per 100,000 residents. Last semester, the county never saw case rates above 500 per 100,000 residents. 80 COVID-19 patients remain in area hospitals, and intensive care units report that they are at 98% capacity when compared to typical care levels. More than one in four COVID-19 tests in the county came back positive in the past week. In high-risk periods, the county recommends the following precautions. Get vaccinated and boosted against COVID-19 if you have not already. Wear masks indoors when people from outside your household are present. Masks should fit snug, and KN95 masks are especially recommended. Monitor yourself for COVID-19 symptoms, and stay home even if your symptoms are mild. Get tested immediately if you notice any symptoms of COVID-19. If your test comes back positive, seek treatment and isolate. Postpone all indoor gatherings, and in the case that it cannot be postponed, require that all attendees be vaccinated. Consider limiting the number of households present 
and move activities outside if possible. Employers are encouraged to promote remote work options for employees where possible. All residents of Larimer County are encouraged to continue practicing social distancing. The state of Colorado reports over 1.1 million COVID-19 cases, along with over 11,000 deaths due to COVID-19. Over 53,000 people are currently hospitalized in the state. Nearly 9.9 million vaccines have been administered, and over 3.8 million Coloradans are fully immunized against the virus that causes COVID-19. The United States reports over 65 million cases of COVID-19, with cases increasing by over 775,000 daily. In the past two weeks, cases increased by over 90%, most likely as a result of the highly contagious Omicron variant. In the United States, over 850,000 are dead as a result of COVID-19, and each day nearly 1,800 more deaths are reported. Deaths increased by 40% in the past two weeks. Every single state in the U.S. reports high-risk scores for COVID-19. That's all for Tuesday's COVID-19 updates. Information from this segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and National Public Radio. If you are a student, staff member, or faculty member at CSU, visit covid.colostate.edu to submit vaccine results, or to submit vaccine paperwork, schedule saliva screenings, and get the most recent information on COVID-19 at the university. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. The 2022 Martin Luther King Jr. Day March and Celebration happened Monday, January 17th and featured an optional volunteer event in the morning. The march began at Washington Park near Old Town Fort Collins at 11 and moved through a new route towards the Lorry Student Center. The new route included houses prominent to Fort Collins' local black history, including the Thomas House. Marchers moved from Washington Park to Cherry Street and Meldrum Street before heading on to CSU's campus. Last year's march was put on a hold as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, leading to a massive crowd for this year's event. Original reporting was done by Portia Cook, KCSU Fort Collins news producer. Thank you all for being here at this very important event. It's incredible to see so many people in our community come together to celebrate the life and work of Dr. King and continue to march towards progress equity and justice for all. Before the march began, several different speakers took a moment to address the crowd, including Dr. Blanche Hughes, the vice president of the university. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a man, a black man, a brother, a father, a husband, a reverend, a Christian, a member of the oldest historical black fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, <laughs> an advocate, an educator, a doctor, a visionary, and an activist, among so many other things. As we celebrate his legacy, it would be remiss of us to only celebrate what he said and place limits on what he did. His fight was for justice, and this year his family is urging lawmakers and President Joe Biden, as well as supporters, to pass federal voting rights bills. The Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act have stalled in Congress, and King's family is calling for the measures to is calling for the measures to receive the same urgent attention that the recent $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill received. Won't you join us in keeping Dr. King's dream alive? My name is Kim Dixon, and I'm a resident of Fort Collins. Thank you so much. Now, what does your sign say today? My sign is a quote from Martin Luther King Jr., which says, Injustice anywhere threatens justice everywhere. What does that quote mean to you? Well, I've been carrying this sign for about 15 years, and it means that in this country, unless we have equality in terms of justice, that we will not be a democracy. That voting rights right now are something that are threatened for people, not everyone, but certainly a large percentage. And until we decide that our democracy will only be saved when everyone has a chance to vote, I think we're in a big, we're in trouble. 
Absolutely. Is this your first time marching today or have you been out to the marches in the past? No, like I said, this is probably 15 years of marching. Not only this day, but on many other occasions. In fact, I put on my 2017 Women's March from Denver t-shirt, looked in the mirror and felt a little, little saddened. I felt like the needle had not quite moved as we had hoped when there was a quarter of a million people marching in Denver. Feels like the needle's kind of gone a little bit backwards. So we have to keep marching. Now, if you had one opportunity to create a call to action for people today in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, what would that be? To help J President Biden pass the Voting Rights Act. We have to nationalize voting rights because they're being undermined in every state. Thank you so much. Thank you. My first and last name is Kami Miranda, and I'm 11 years old. Thank you so much. Now, what do you think Martin Luther King Jr. would be most proud to see today? He'd be proud to see people all coming together to join the journey that he's created. And what do you think Martin Luther King Jr. would be most disappointed by today? Still how people treat other people. Like, there's still many crimes that's being developed and stuff like that. Now, do you think Martin Luther King Jr. would approve of the way we are treating one another today? Um, some, yes, because we're participating and, like, we're being good to each other. Some, not, because people are, are just, like, not following the rules. They're hurting other people and just not being a great person. In Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, I Have a Dream, he had many dreams for future generations. What are your dreams for your generation? Well, my dream for this generation would be... Yeah, for everybody to get along and have, like, equality along other, amongst us. Okay, go ahead and give me your first, last name, and title. Japira Lane, graduate advisor for the Xi Eta chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated here at CSU. Hi, my name is Joya Lane. Aliris Allman, member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I'm part of the Graduate Advisor Council for the Xi Eta chapter here at CSU. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much for answering some questions for me today. So for some, Martin Luther King Jr. Day means a day off. What does it mean for you? Absolutely the opposite, a day on. It's a day of service. Um, we have our impact days for service with Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and this is just a part of what we've done today. Our undergraduate, undergraduate members have also participated in a service project earlier this morning with packing bags to hand out today. So. Now, in 1994, Congress designated Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a National Day of Service, just like she said. In other words, a day on, not a day off. How can people be of service on a day like today? I think they could come to a march like this and just walk for the memory of Martin Luther King Jr. and just to represent the black community. Now, what do you think Martin Luther King Jr. would be proud of today? I think he would be proud of the continued unity that we have in the community and having more allies that are visible and willing to help out the black cause. So my name is Shad Goff, district manager here with Starbucks. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Now, um, today for many, it is considered a day off, um, but for many, it is also considered a day of service. Tell me what Starbucks is doing out here for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yeah, so truly a day of service. Uh, partners coming out, helping in our communities, engaging in communities, uh, finding ways to give back. That's why we're here. That's wonderful. And is this um, kind of like a nonprofit situation? Or explain to me a little bit about, um, is this volunteer work that everybody is doing behind yeah, the so scenes? Volunteer work today. So all these partners volunteer their time to come out and support the community. Following the march, students and community members alike went to the Lori Student Center to hear keynotes, and to celebrate a bit with music and community. Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the
so honored to be here to welcome you today on behalf of Colorado State University. And I want to first send greetings from President McConnell, who very much wishes she could be with us today, but is with her family in Maryland due to a family emergency. But she did send me a text and asked me to share these words. Thank you for all you are doing today to honor Dr. King. Although I cannot be with you in person, I am there with you in spirit. So now I'd like to extend the thank yous to our event organizers from Colorado State University, the staff of Black African American Cultural Center, the Office of Inclusive Excellence, and Lori Student Center, the City of Fort Collins, including Historic Preservation Services and Neighborhood Services, Puda School District, Front Range Community College, and Puda Libraries. Could we give them a hand? You all have prepared a wonderful community event today. And now I'd like to thank all of you for being here as we gather to acknowledge that we still have much work to do. And the march for social justice is far from over. As I personally reflect on Dr. King, and when we started this MLK march in the 1990s, as a joint effort between CSU and the Fort Collins community, I have so many thoughts and emotions. And I wonder, would Dr. King be disappointed that after all these years, we're still marching and we're still fighting for justice and equity? I think he would be disappointed. As I am disappointed, and as we all should be disappointed, and there is still so much more we need to accomplish. The voting rights legislation is just one example of the efforts we continue to champion today and shouldn't have. I, however, also, though, believe that Dr. King would be proud that we continue to gather here today in spite of the setbacks and challenges. Some of us have been marching for many decades. And for some, today is your first march. It lifts my heart to see so many young people here today. So let's all of us take this time today to reflect on where we've been be inspired by the voices and community around us today and recommit to the work of transforming our society. As we think about the last few years, I know many of us are tired and we are weary, but you know what? Dr. King was always tired and often weary. And he never gave up, and neither can we. So let's use today as inspiration to carry his work and his legacy forward with new energy and greater determination than ever before. As a part of this day of reflection, Carlotta Walls-Lanier, the youngest member of the Little Rock Nine, the nine students who desegregated Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, offered her words on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I think if Dr. King were here today, he would remind us that we too have a duty to serve. I think he would be proud of the way Americans come together and reach beyond themselves in a time of crisis, as we are doing in the Marshall Fire. Uh, in the aftermath of all the hurricanes and tsunamis and the massacres such as Newton, Connecticut, which I am still just, just hurt and don't understand why we haven't done something about that. 
in the Parkland High Schools. Yes, I think he would be appalled at the politics involved in every crisis. And given that, he spent his life preaching nonviolence. I think he would be pricking our conscience, pushing this nation toward greater gun control, and protecting the right to vote. Dr. King would remind us that each of us, at some point in our lives, has a responsibility to say, as Harriet Tubman, the Soldier of Truth, Rosa Parks, Medgar Evers, the Freedom Riders, and so many others, including the Little Rock Nine, said, here am I, send me. In September 2007, I joined my eight comrades in Little Rock to celebrate the 50th anniversary of our integration of Little Rock Central High School and the events that helped shape history. It was a memorable occasion that included plenty speeches, a play dramatizing those tough days in 1957, and even the unveiling of a museum that will help keep that part of our history alive for generations to come. I watched it all with a kind of distance, as though I was watching some other 14-year-old girl surrounded by the gun-toting members of the U.S. Army 101st Airborne, escorting her up the steps to Central High to keep the clawing, spitting, hateful mob at bay. But on the last day of the anniversary events, President Bill Clinton spoke. He talked about courage, gratitude, and the responsibility that each of us has to contribute to the world, to do something more than talk, to step up, even when stepping up comes at a cost. He said of my comrades and me, and I quote, these nine people didn't just have an opinion. They did just say, wouldn't it be nice if someone did something to change things? These nine people and their families stepped up and said, here am I, Lord, send me. And I have to say, <clears throat> his words cracked my armor. The truth will out itself. We cannot know the timing, how it will come that two will write itself, but we, we just have to keep trying and not get weary and keep marching into freedom days, as Mavis Staples sings. No time to get weary and no time to sit down. Just keep fighting the good, true fight. It must be done. And in whatever way you individually can find to do it, stay on the task. It is the job for all of us. King told us that he might not get to the promised land with us, but we as a human race will get there and we need to do so together. The Martin Luther King Jr. Day March, going through Washington Park, through Cherry Street, all the way to the Lori Student Center on CSU's campus, happened Monday from 11 to around 2 p.m. For more information on the project that led to the route change in the march, you can visit fcgov.com slash historic preservation slash black Fort Collins. And if you missed the celebration yourself and want to watch it in full, you can go to the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Celebration Events YouTube video, which will be linked on kcsufm.com news under the post for today's episode.
Colorado State University, the women's rugby team competes in the Mountain West Rugby Conference, working to establish themselves as leaders on and off the field. Women of all different backgrounds, experience levels, and interests are welcome to join the CSU women's rugby team. Practices and home games are held on the IM fields. To get involved and define the team's game schedule, go to csuwrugby.com. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to National News Highlights for January 18th. Saturday, a gunman held multiple people, including a rabbi, captive at a synagogue in Coleyville, Texas. According to Joe Hernandez at National Public Radio, Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker told NPR that he and two other attendees who were being held hostage escaped by throwing a chair at the gunman. One other hostage escaped prior to the effort by Citron Walker, and the person suspected of holding the group hostage was identified by the Federal Bureau of Investigation as Malik Faisal Akram, who died the same day. Investigators have not revealed if Akram was killed by police or suicide. Akram held the synagogue hostage to demand that the federal government release Afia Siddiqui from prison. Siddiqui is a Pakistani neuroscientist convicted of terrorism in 2010, and she currently is held in Fort Worth, Texas at the FMC Carswell Prison. Afia's attorney released a statement Saturday condemning the actions of the gunman on behalf of Afia and her family. Jewish people are the most targeted religious group in the United States, with anti-Semitic attacks and other incidences such as this one on the rise. Monday, Martin Luther King Jr.'s eldest son, Martin Luther King III, spoke in Washington, D.C., condemning a lack of congressional action to protect voting rights nationwide. According to Jeff Martin and Michael Warren at the Associated Press, King was referencing new voting restrictions passed by Republicans in 19 states. King pushed for legislation to prevent additional voting restrictions from being passed on the state level, saying, quote, our democracy stands on the brink of serious trouble without these bills, end quote. Monday would have been Martin Luther King Jr.'s 93rd birthday. He was assassinated in 1968 while supporting a sanitation worker strike in Memphis, Tennessee. As a result of King's condemnation of Congress, Democrats had hoped to push these bills through Congress on Monday, but were stifled by continued opposition. Republicans believe that these restrictions prevent voter fraud. Leaders, including Vice President Kamala Harris, President Joe Biden, and former President Barack Obama, weighed on the significance of yesterday's holiday. A 13-year-old Connecticut boy died after he was likely exposed to fentanyl at his school. According to Keely Westoff and Amanda Watts at CNN, police reported the death around 5 in the evening Saturday, after the boy and two other students were taken to a hospital Thursday. After the boy collapsed in gym class at the Sport and Medical Sciences Academy, the school went under lockdown code yellow, meaning that students could not leave campus. Police were brought in along with drug-sniffing dogs to search for fentanyl and other drugs before students were released. Police said the bags of fentanyl were found in multiple locations around the school, requiring students and staff to have their shoes and clothing decontaminated to avoid coming in contact with small amounts of fentanyl. Hartford Mayor Luke Bronin said in a statement, quote, we still have much to learn about the circumstances of this tragedy and about how a child had access to such a shocking quantity of such deadly drugs, and our police department will continue their investigation and seek to hold accountable the adults who ultimately are responsible for this child's death, end quote. The two other students survived and were released from the hospital after treatment. That's all for National News. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 35 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. As promised, here's your weekly update of the 2021 MLB lockout. As of Thursday, December 9th, not a lot of progress has been made on the completion of a new collective bargaining agreement. Discussion is taking place between the players and the owners, but there's not a huge crunch for time, as of right now at least. I mean, after all, it's still December. Realistically, these two parties have another month, and a half, to iron out these negotiations until the end of January, in time for pitchers and catchers to report, and the start of spring training. I have looked around at a few polls across the internet, and it seems that a lot of baseball fans are confident that the lockout will end before the start of the regular season, 
but will still either fully cancel spring training or maybe slightly delay it if the negotiations were to go well into February. As of right now, however, there's still no sign of the two sides nearing agreement, and baseball fans continue to be left in the dark, questioning when all of this is going to end. In last week's episode, we talked about a couple specialty players, guys that tend to help out a baseball team in different ways than the rest of the team usually does. In this week's episode, however, we're going to talk about a select few players who not only help their team in a huge way, but really pave their own ways to becoming the best player on the team. This will start a bit of a series where we break down each and every division, highlighting the best player ever to play for each team, and comparing them against each other, and eventually, other players in the league. Today, we'll start with the hometown division, the National League West. So let's get into it. Let's start with the Colorado Rockies. Now, this one might be a bit of a surprise, as the Rockies have seen a lot of good players come through the organization over time. You've had stars like Matt Holliday and Nolan Arenado, Troy Tulowitzki, as well as Carlos Gonzalez, Vinny Castilla, Ubaldo Jimenez, and so many more. I mean, even guys that are on the most recent squad, like Herman Marquez, or Charlie Blackman and Trevor Story, give this title the all-time best player kind of a run for its money. But I think that this squad boils down to really two players at the very heart of it, which is Larry Walker and Todd Helton. Now, Larry Walker is, as of right now, the Rockies' only Hall of Famer, as he was inducted in 2020 in his final year of eligibility. Now, if he will stay as the Rockies' only Hall of Fame inductee, only time will tell. Fingers crossed that Todd Helton will also get in. But anyway, Walker started his career with the Montreal Expos, but he was signed to the Colorado Rockies once granted free agency after six years or so with the Expos. He then played with the Rockies for an additional 10 years, racking up some pretty impressive career stats. He had 258 home runs, 1,361 hits, and 848 RBIs, as well as four All-Star Game appearances, five gold gloves, two silver sluggers, and an MVP award in 1997, which was the year that Walker slugged 49 home runs. But... I personally think that Todd Helton still beats him out. You see, both players played for 17 years, but Helton played all 17 of those years with the Rockies. Over that time, Helton shined. He had 2,519 hits in his career, slugging 369 home runs and a ridiculous 1,406 RBIs. Helton came in second in the Rookie of the Year vote and was selected to the All-Star Game five times in his career. Along with a batting title came four Silver Slugger awards, as well as three Gold Glove awards as well. I mean, what made the Rockies' all-time great first baseman even more special was the 61.8 win above replacement total, which is 170th overall in the history of baseball. That's pretty special. I mean, in his time with the Rockies, Larry only had a 48.3 war. For his achievement, Todd Helton was the first Rocky to get his number retired, followed by Walker in 2021 after he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Next, let's talk about the Los Angeles Dodgers. This one is going to be quite a bit harder to decide, as the Dodgers have been around since 1884, 138 seasons with plenty of incredible talent. Now, obviously you think about Jackie Robinson, the man that broke the color barrier. I mean, in his 11-year career, Robinson won Rookie of the Year, an MVP award, seven All-Star appearances, a batting title, and also slugged a career 313 batting average with 1,563 hits 
and 141 home runs to his name. Pee Wee Reese should be pretty high on this list as well, as the 10-time All-Star played 16 years in the major leagues, not including the three years that he took off from baseball, which he took off to go fight in World War II. The Hall of Famer had 2,170 hits and 885 RBIs in his career, really just proving his worth as one of the best contact hitters of all time. But I think where the Dodgers have really shined over the years is with their pitching. I believe that Clayton Kershaw should really top the list. This soon-to-be 34-year-old Kershaw has given the Dodgers plenty of incredible pitching over his 14-year career, all of which hasn't gone unrecognized. You see, Kershaw has earned three Cy Young Awards, eight All-Star appearances, five ERA titles, and even has a Triple Crown title, which he led the league in wins, strikeouts, and ERA back in 2011. The Player of the Year award winner has a career 71.9 war, as he's recorded 101 more wins than he has losses. Pee Wee Reese's war comes out to respectable 68.5, and only one other pitcher, the three-time World Series champion Don Drysdale, is close to Kershaw's career war with a 67.1 war. Other than these two, the Dodgers have seen plenty of good pitching. I mean, guys like Don Sutton, who has the franchise record for wins with 233 in his 16 years with the Dodgers, as well as the three-time Cy Young Award winner and three-time Triple Crown winner Sandy Koufax. And what about Oral Hershiser, or even the Dodgers ace back in the late 1800s, Brickyard Kennedy? I mean, there's a lot of really great players in this organization that this organization has seen. But I think Kershaw, who's still actually looking to play a couple more seasons, takes the cake. The San Francisco Giants, who came to the league just a year before the Dodgers, have, like the Dodgers, seen unbelievable amounts of incredible players in the 139 years that they've been in the league. This one is also going to be a little bit more complicated than the last two. I mean, I would argue that the top two players to ever come out of the Giants organization are the two sluggers, who were both kind of specialists in their own right. I mean, you had Willie Mays for getting base hits and home runs, and Barry Bonds, who was just home runs and walks constantly. Now, say what you want about Barry Bonds. I mean, yes, he did cheat. Yes, due to his steroid use, he's still not in the Hall of Fame. However, He is still the all-time home run leader with 762 home runs. Also, he holds the all-time record for walks with 2,558, as well as intentional walks with 688. I mean, the fact of the matter is, pitchers were still terrified to pitch to him, as it would often be easier to just walk him. Barry Bonds was still an incredible professional hitter. I mean, he could have swung at plenty of those pitches, to try and get more hits, but he didn't. I mean, he chose the pitches that he wanted and got all of those home runs from it. I mean, after all, Bonds was just 65 hits short of 3,000 career hits by the end of his 22-year career. Yes, the seven-time MVP and the 12 Silver Sluggers are nice, but Bonds also had eight gold gloves out in left field. I mean, he was still a very impressive overall player. But there is still one player that comes to mind when thinking about just the all-time great San Francisco Giant, which is, of course, Willie Mays. Willie Mays is tied with Henry Aaron and Stan Musial for most All-Star Game appearances with 24. Now, this might seem a little bit weird because Willie Mays only played 23 years in the MLB, but he did play in two All-Star Games each season from 1959 to 1962. The entire purpose of the second game was to raise money for the MLB players' pension funds and a few other things, but mostly for that. Anyway, looking at his career stats, May's numbers kind of look like video game numbers. I mean, in his 10,924 plate appearances, Mays had 3,293 hits, 
13th highest in history, and 660 home runs, which is 6th best all time. Barry Bonds and Willie Mays had a 143.6 war and a 136.5 war, respectively, which is the 3rd and 4th best all time. They are some of the best hitters and really just all-around players in the entire history of baseball. Under the Diamondbacks now, who have only been around since 1998, just 24 seasons ago. But there is no shortage of impressive players here either. I, I think the pretty easy choice for the best player of all time is none other than the big unit, Randy Johnson. The six foot ten pitcher out of California is really just one of the best pitchers of all time that the MLB has ever seen. And although he only pitched for the Diamondbacks for eight years, they were some of the best years of his career. In his time with the D-backs, Johnson had four straight Cy Young Awards, starting with his 12th season in the majors at the age of 35. Think about that. He did all of this stuff with the Diamondbacks when he was in his late 30s. I mean, Johnson didn't retire until he was 45, but why would he? I mean, with the Diamondbacks, Randy had a 283 ERA, 2,077 strikeouts, and 118 wins compared to his 62 losses, and not to mention a World Series title. Johnson was a 10-time All-Star, a Triple Crown winner, and had four ERA titles, as well as the World Series MVP honors. Since the team hasn't been around for a super long time, only a few other players kind of come to mind. The 11-year vet Paul Goldschmidt would likely take the second place honor with his 1,182 hits with the Diamondbacks, and Luis Gonzalez who slugged 224 of his 354 home runs in a Diamondbacks uniform. Finally, we have the San Diego Padres who, in their 53 seasons, have had plenty of success in their pitching. But even then, it would be unfair to give the best of all time honors to anyone else but Tony Gwynn. You see, Gwynn, kind of like Pee Wee Reese, was just an unbelievable contact hitter with 3,141 base hits in his entire career. He led the league seven times in the hits category on his way to seven Silver Slugger awards and eight batting titles. Now, those eight batting titles are actually tied for the most in National League history with the Pirates' great Onus Wagner, who also had eight. Actually, Gwynn led the league in hits seven times, which was tied for most all-time with Pete Rose. And, much like Helton, Gwynn played all 20 years of his career with the Padres, who propelled him to 15 All-Star games as he returned the favor in the form of five gold gloves. His career 338 batting average and his 388 on base percentage helped him make the Hall of Fame fairly effortlessly in 2007. Hall of Famer Dave Winfield should be pretty high on this list as well, though he only played eight years with the Padres and had even better success in his time with the Yankees. I do want to bring up the Padres Hall of Fame closer, however, in Trevor Hoffman, who played for the Padres for 16 years ranking up 601 saves, the second most all-time, 51 short of Mariano Rivera's all-time record of 652. Hoffman was also a seven-time All-Star and earned the Rollades Relief Award twice on his way to 1,133 career strikeouts and a 287 career ERA. I would say the only downfall to the 6-1 right-hander was his overall record, which came out to 61 wins and 75 losses, but that tends to get discounted a bit more as a relief pitcher, as a lot of time you're thrown into some pretty difficult situations. So there we go. There are the best players from each team in the National League West Division, headlined by Todd Helton, Clayton Kershaw, Willie Mays, Randy Johnson, and Tony Gwynn. In the 52-year history of the National League West, there has been plenty of incredible and unbelievable talent. And I feel that these five players and all of the other players that I've mentioned in this episode have done a really good job proving that point. 
So next week, we'll move on to the National League Central for the Reds, Cubs, Brewers, Pirates, and Cardinals. Thank you for listening. Support for KCSU comes from Chiba Hut. Chiba Hut Toasted Subs is a cannabis-themed restaurant with three locations in Fort Collins and two close to campus. Ordering is available online for pickup or delivery. For locations and a menu, visit ChibaHut.com. My name is Eliza Drotar. This is your RMR Sports Report. Women's basketball, the team is in the middle of their season going 11-4, and four, losing their most recent game to the Lobos at Moby Arena, 85-74. to 74. Their next games this week are against Utah State and Boise State. In men's basketball, the team is going 13-1, and one, beating San Jose State in California, 78-42. Their next games are against New Mexico for the state pride game, and then Air Force. In track and field, the men's and women's teams competed in the Pots Invitational, and the Rams came home with four first-place finishes. Congrats to Tom Oates, Liam Mathers, Jalen Jasper, and Lauren Gale. In women's swim and dive, the team will be competing against Air Force and New Mexico on January 22nd at the Air Force Academy. If you are interested in student tickets, go to csurams.evenue.net to get tickets for upcoming softball, basketball, tennis, and more. My name is Eliza Drotar. This is your RMR Sports Report. This is Play Like a Girl a bi-weekly podcast about Colorado State University's female athletes and sports. This is Carson Lane, your host and current student athlete here at Colorado State, coming to you from KCSU. Each episode, I plan to talk about Colorado State's female athletes and sports updates to inspire us to stay updated, involved, and passionate about supporting our female athletes. In today's episode, I want to talk about how the women's volleyball team is currently wrapping up an eventful season, as well as the new season unfolding on the court for our women's basketball team. Lastly, I want to leave you guys off with ways to stay up to date with our female athletes Jumping right into it with our women's volleyball team. The ladies are currently on their last official season road trip as they battle the Utah State Aggies and the Boise State University Broncos on November 18th and November 20th. The last two away games are just preparation for our Rams before taking on the Mountain West Conference Tournament in Las Vegas from November 24th to November 26th. The Rams are currently first in the Mountain West women's volleyball standings with a 13-3 conference score and 17-8 overall. The odds seem to fall in the Rams' favor as their only true competitors standing in the way are the Utah Aggies. The Aggies are currently ranked second in the Mountain West standings with a 12-4 conference score right behind our Colorado State Rams. As for the Boise Broncos, they are currently ranked sixth with a 9-7 overall conference score. Both events should be an easy win for Colorado State since the last time they battled the court in September, Rams brought home both 3-0 wins. Technically, the Rams have dominated this season so well that there's room to lose and still share the title of the season-ending tournament. But there's no time for losing as the squad is preparing with a winner-take-all mindset, drawing on their past experiences to deal with the upcoming challenges to secure the win. You can stay updated and watch the Rams wrap up their season live on the Mountain West Network. Next, Colorado State University has had a welcome home at Moby Arena for the women's basketball team as they unravel an already successful season ahead of them. The Rams' first court debut was on November 3rd with a preseason opener against Chardon State College bringing the first taste of what is now their winning streak to the court. The following three regular season games have been consistent wins for Colorado State against competitors Colorado Christian University, University of Northern Colorado, and Oral Roberts University. After their most recent victory over the Oral Roberts, the Rams are 3-0 for the fourth time in head coach Ryan Williams' career. The Rams are looking to make it a 4-0 start for the second time straight this season. 
As the Rams get further into the season, there are a couple that I want to keep an eye out for. Starting off with returning starting off with returning grad student Carly Murphy. Murphy is a 6-1 forward already dominating the court. In coach Williams' words, Murphy understands what it takes to take the win and has been a solid scorer and contributor in the championship program and has brought her competitiveness to the court this season. Although it is early, Murphy is already number one for four separate categories for the women's cumulative stats. As the top point scorer, Murphy has made 40 points, averaging about 13 per game, followed by her 8-for-8 free throws and 32 rebounds so far. While Murphy continues racking up points in minutes, it couldn't be done without the help of new incoming Rams. Colorado State University has had the opportunity to welcome three new incoming freshmen for the 2021-2022 season, introducing forwards Jess Moores and Clara Gomez, as well as guard Anna Prim. As head coach Williams begins to incorporate the incoming athletes, it is always refreshing to see new Rams in green and gold take on Moby Arena. Good luck to our new Rams, and I can't wait to see what the career has ahead of them. Now I know Thanksgiving's coming up, and plenty of us are more than ready to enjoy fall break, but you can't forget to stay updated on these important matchups ahead of us. In that case, I'm going to leave us off with two ways to stay updated and involved with our Rams as they hit the road and keep battling this break. First, check the team's schedule. Not only does this keep you as a Ram fam updated, but it also offers you alternative ways to watch and listen. If you would like to watch the match unfold, check out the Mountain West Network. They often provide a live option to fans to really feel like you're at the game. Say you can't watch, but you want to listen? Tune in to Power 102.9 NOCO, a commercial radio station broadcasting right here to Fort Collins and other Colorado areas. Secondly, follow the team's social media accounts. These accounts deliver game updates, schedule reminders, and exclusive team insights. Not only does it deliver all of these perks, but it is just a simple way to support our Rams. You can find these accounts on the official Instagram account for Colorado State Ram Athletics at CSU Athletics. As for today's episode, that is it, Ramley. Thank you for listening, and be sure to stay updated with Colorado State University's women's sports. I am Carson Lane, your host, and this is Play Like a Girl. Until next time. I'm Cota Babcock, and you're listening to Technology News for January 18th. Hackers targeting Kronos Private Cloud, a payroll workforce management company, disrupted payroll for millions of people across the United States, including FedEx, Whole Foods, and medical workers. According to Becky Sullivan at National Public Radio, Ultimate Kronos Group, which manages Kronos, said they expect system operations to resume fully by the end of January. Despite this, Employers who use the popular software are unsure if they or their employees will be able to use the software by then. This could mean that employees receive W-2s and other tax information late. Human Resources employees for the city of Cleveland say that this caused administrative staff for the city to be called in to help reconcile late pay for 8,000 employees. Due to income being estimated in many cases, employees may be missing out on holiday overtime since information from Kronos is unable to be used. Twitter announced Monday that it will be expanding its new feature, which allows users to flag misleading tweets on the platform. According to Reuters, this expansion includes users in Brazil, Spain, and the Philippines. The feature first came out in its pilot version in August in response to political issues relating to conspiracy theories and misinformation on COVID-19. A similar program called Birdwatch was also launched from Twitter. Birdwatch allows users to write context for flagged tweets explaining the misinformation, but notes are stored on a separate Twitter site. The first test of the flagging feature included the United States, Australia, and South Korea. As this feature continues to launch in more countries, the spread of misinformation is expected to be prevented more thoroughly on the platform. That's all for Tech News. I'm Cutta Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday. Now, for the weather.
Today, we saw mostly cloudy skies with a high of 47 and a low of 27 with low winds. Wednesday, you can expect some snow showers with cloudy skies and a high of 30 with a low of 18. Thursday will warm up a bit to a high of 35 degrees with a low of 21 with partly cloudy skies. And for Friday, you'll have to check back in with us this Thursday between 4 and 5 in the afternoon for the Rocky Mountain Review, only from KCSU Fort Collins. Information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, Stephanie Keel, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Lindsay Johnson, Eliza Droder, Samuel Bailey, Ben Haney, Ben Kruger, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Allie. And we finally couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.